I think the first thing to do is to is to let that let that person explore their surroundings in whatever way is natural to them. You know, um, a lot of our learning and a lot of our kind of formation of self is done through just personal self-explorations. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 155 of Life in Motion. I've got Josh Spearman with me who's a program director at Blue Sky Fund. They're on a mission to provide transformational experiences for Richmond area youth through outdoor education. I'm excited to hear his story and how he's making an impact on our youth through outdoor adventures. Josh, thanks for being on the show today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited um, that we are able to connect with you all. And definitely after checking out um, kind of what what uh, Blue Sky Fund is all about, the mission, everything, I'm excited to to learn more. Um, but before we do that, let's start with sort of who who you are, you know, your background story, your origin story, kind of what, what led you down this path in the first place? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I am from rural Virginia, um, kind of a, a part of Virginia that is now mostly um, house farms, uh, Western, Western Loudoun County, which was, uh, I grew up in the, uh, my parents actually were, worked at a school for, I think at the time they said it was a school for juvenile delinquents. I think now we would probably frame it differently, but this was <laughs> the seventies and early eighties. Um, so it was a school for people from uh, the kind of DC suburbs and area um and and in dc as well uh for for people who just i guess couldn't couldn't quite handle their children maybe it might be the good the best way to put it it was high school aged kids um and it was this campus that was an old farm it was it was, it was a school that was founded by um quakers and communists in the in the in the <laughs> early 70s uh and this really weird free environment there was a there was kind of a farm component and there was a pond and there were dorms and there was classes but you know the the staff was mostly largely made up of um uh intellectuals and hippies like i mean that's what my parents were basically um and kind of outdoors people so they you know they would take all of the kids to colorado to go climbing they would they one time took all of the kids to switzerland to go skiing and climbing you know just with no when you think about it now given given what we know or, or all of the limitations in terms of licenses and trainings that one would have in order to just grab a bunch of teenagers and take them away somewhere for an adventure like that. They had none of that. They just were like, we're going to try this. <laughs> they went off and did it. So I grew up on that campus until I was about six years old, which was definitely formative because there was a lot of, it was in the middle of nowhere. So we were, me and my two older sisters were allowed a, a great amount of freedom to roam the campus and just kind of explore uh, and as a family, we were campers as well. My, um, my dad's a big mushroom to this day is a big mushroom hunter. So we would often, um, spend our vacations in some, some forest somewhere in West Virginia or, or Pennsylvania looking for, um, looking for mushrooms or we'd be <laughs> hanging out while he'd be looking for mushrooms. So it was, uh, that kind of life was very natural to me. Um, and then later, um, well, my parents split and my dad ended up on the Eastern shore of Maryland where, um, he was living on the Nanticoke River. Um, and so with that, there was a lot of canoeing and just kind of marsh exploration as well. So that's kind of how I 
grew up. Um, and then um, I studied geology in college, which um, I um, I was a music major to begin with. I play I play bluegrass music, but I found that oh, I cool. didn't really need to study that at at college. But I also found out kind of simultaneously that geologists like to camp and play music as well, or and camp and drink. So um, <laughs> you know, for a high school or for that was kind of the winning combination. I could I could have my have my banjo and my rocks and camping too, um, and get credit for it, which was great. Um, <laughs> and after, after I graduated, I ended up um, working for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Um, I, I went came back to the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and I was running field trips there, um, three day field trips on first on a place called Fox Island, which is just this little old, um, formerly a hunting cabin that the Bay Foundation has had bought and converted into an education area. So there were just these rooms. Uh, there was a kitchen. Um, there was no, there was no gridded electricity. There were a couple solar panels for, for lights um, and for the refrigerator, but um, all the heat was just from a wood stove. If there was any heat and um, there was a, there was a water pump that was connected to a bicycle. So if you wanted water pressure, you had to ride <laughs> the bike in order to get um up but it was it was non-potable water so you had to truck in all the water um uh and it was it was a pretty magical place there was a composting toilet so I, I did that for i was there and then i moved on to a little island that's actually inhabited on uh in the chesapeake bay to run field trips so i did that for two years um and then moved to richmond where i still where currently i sit um to work on the james river still running field trips but in this case more single day field trips and in the summertime more extended field trips so yeah the first five years out of school was spent doing i guess what might be considered fairly traditional environmental education um with with a focus on watershed science and then also it being the chesapeake bay foundation a focus on save the bay which is you know their motto and that's the thing that they're that they're about. Um, after about five years of that, I, I kind of decided I wanted to know more about the science that I was speaking about. And I ended up going to the Virginia Institute of Marine Science to get a master's degree, um, which was very cool. I studied um, tidal flats and um, marshes. And, you know, the nice thing about degrees, graduate degrees in science is that um, they tend to be funded by whatever grant you're working on. So in this case, I was working on a grant, um, so maybe somewhat suspiciously funded by the Office of Naval Research because they were very interested in tidal flat morphology. I come to find out the reason of that is, is because of the amount of tidal flats that there are around um, North Korea. Oh. So uh, the Navy is interested in knowing here on radar, should they ever, well, who knows what. Uh, I, I tried not to <laughs> dig too deeply into it, but I got a degree out got to do some studying, which was fun. Um, and I, you know, I really enjoyed all that science that I learned, but I also learned that I was not um, interested in pursuing research science um, as a career uh, after finishing the master's degree. I really enjoyed the process, but couldn't see myself um, doing that full time, mostly because, you know, you think about something like researching marshes and tidal flats and you think about field work. Well, the field work you do first, you know, the field work is the first maybe eighth of the process followed by seven eighths of it is in the lab or in front of a computer, basically just writing and, and, and kind of manipulating data. So, um, I was, I do enjoy 
thinking about data and thinking about science, but I think I, I came to the conclusion I'm more of an arm-waving science person. Is I like to be I like to be standing in front of something and gesturing with my arms about <laughs> what's going on rather than holding up a um, holding up a table, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, eventually, after that, well, I spent a number of years just playing music, but um, uh, after that, I ended up um, getting my teacher's license and coming into um, Richmond Public Schools as a uh, middle school science teacher. So I taught okay. sixth, sixth through eighth grade science, sixth through eighth grade science, as well as earth science, which is really more of a high school class. Uh, and, um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, um, I've had been living in Richmond at that point for a decade and thought I knew a lot about what the city was and who lived in the city. But the truth is, is coming into the public school system gave me a kind of a whole different view of the city of Richmond and and who lives in the city. And, and, and because, I mean, frankly, just as a, as a middle-class kind of arts focused outdoorsy white dude, there's a large population of the city that, that I never came across, you know, or interacted with. So the schools is everybody. And specifically, you know, in the case of Richmond, like so many um, urban school districts, the schools are mostly the, the, the lower income, um, you know, people of color. So uh, that was, it was informative and instructive to me, um, especially in the way that I thought about science education and, and, and outdoor education, because, um, you know, I had this skill set of being able to, to take a group outdoors, to do some natural um, interpretation of the outdoors, to lead team building games and, and activities in the outdoors. Um, And I would do that with my students just in the schoolyard even. And, you know, um, I, I quickly found that I had to adjust my expectations and also kind of adjust the preparation that I, that I brought to it to make sure that my students were feeling um, safe and feeling, um, you know, interested in, in the activities. Um, So I, I did that for seven years. I was a classroom teacher at which point I ended up in 2019, I became the K-12 science um, they call it the science specialist, but I was the, the singular K-12 science lead for the city of Richmond. So no. I was focused on curriculum curriculum and instruction and teacher coaching and professional learning. Uh, and I did that from 2019 until just last November when I joined the Blue Sky Fund. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely quite and, a, a kind of a adventure through there. So uh, a, a couple little uh, tidbits. One, I, I actually grew up um, uh, on the Rappahannock River, right on the tip of the northern northern uh, neck where the bay meets yeah. the Rappahannock River there. So definitely familiar with, uh, or, or to an extent, I should say, with Save the Bay and everything like that. And then I um, also went to school at VCU, uh, although now I'm out in Missouri, but so definitely some, some similarities there. So Kind of before you got into the more uh, formal teaching, obviously, you know, you mentioned doing uh, different uh, field trips and, and activities like that. Um, what the the kind of having that passion for the outdoors makes sense, you know, kind of, you know, how growing up kind of outdoorsy family kind of that way. But where like where did that initial spark for like the education aspect of it come from? Um because, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, playing outside, learning about the outdoors and, and all these different things, um, you know, 
but then teaching that to someone else or, or wanting to teach it to someone else and figuring out how to do that. Where, where did that like initial interest come from? Gosh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I never, you know, people talk about, um, a lot of teachers talk about how they had a calling and, um, and, you know, they always knew they wanted to be a teacher. I don't know that I ever really knew what I wanted to be, or even to this day, really know <laughs> what I want to be. But, um, I, I just, it was, um, I was floating around a little bit after I, graduated from school. Um, and you know, this opportunity to be an intern for, for CBF, uh, came up and I, I took the opportunity as much for the fact that it was free housing and, uh, you know, pay, it was a paid internship, which is always a plus, um, (laughs) for a, uh, um, for a three month period. So for one season, basically the fall season as an intern. And I, I really just fell in love with it when I was out there because, it's not, I never really necessarily considered myself an outdoors person, even though I did like to camp and I like to, to boat and hike. Um, but then kind of, and maybe it was more than anything that I, that I just took for granted, you know, being kind of in my little bubble that this wasn't something that, that all students and all people had the opportunity to do should they want to do it. And then even after that, three month period where the majority of the kids that were coming out to us were probably from kind of public schools on the Eastern shore of Maryland or um, a lot of private schools from the DC and Baltimore area, but then also public schools from Baltimore, public schools from DC. Um, And just to see across the board with these kids, they're, they're kind of the combination of, of um, awe filled fear and, and wonder at, at this natural environment that I had, because of where my dad lived, I was very, very familiar with these kind of this marshy flat, you know, bird, bird laden area, yeah. but just to see what a great impact that was. And, and, and it was so much fun too. the field trips. I mean, we had a boat that we took them out on, we caught crabs, we took them canoeing, we played marsh games. We, you know, had campfires. Um, I'd never been a camp counselor or anything like that previous to that. So that was kind of my first experience with, with that role as well. Um, I don't know. It, it was, um, it, I was taken by it very quickly. Um, and, uh, so the, with, for those five years, it was really fun to, um, to, to get the experience of, of all of these different students in all of these different parts of Virginia and Maryland. I mean, I, I, I am fortunate that I've, pretty much been up and down through the course of these field trips most of the tidal waterways of Chesapeake Bay of the Chesapeake Bay and and in you know and then in addition to that pretty much the entirety of the James River um uh from from the from the headwaters uh, well not quite to the mouth because there's some portions of the James River which are not so much fun to be on um <laughs> around Hampton Roads you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of traffic but the 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 kind of recreationally navigable portion of the James I've, I've gotten, I'm fortunate to have gotten to do all that. So it was really as, as environmental education jobs go, CBF from an educator standpoint might be kind of the one, one of the better ones because they're just very well resourced and they have a lot of, they have a lot of, uh, they've got a really good name amongst, amongst school districts and the experience that is provided is, is really great for the kids. Um, I found after a fashion that um, after five years of doing it, I kind of started to feel a little more like a tour guide than like an educator, because for the most part, you're teaching, you're teaching the same lesson every day. 
you know, maybe in a different location, maybe not in a different location. Um, but uh, and of course, it's new to the kids every day. It's new to the new to the teachers and the adults involved. But for the educator, it does start to feel, it started to feel a little bit like Groundhog's Day, which <laughs> sounds like such a such a um, it's such a kind of a a place of wealth to come from. Because when I say it sounds like Groundhog's Day, what I mean is, you know, I'd get to the boat and we'd take the boat out and, oh, there's the bald eagle sitting on the same piling that the bald eagle is always sitting on. And, you know, it's like, oh, how boring. But of course, not <laughs> boring at all. But um, I think also, even after finishing my undergraduate in geology, I knew that I didn't want to be involved in actively in in science, but I really enjoy science and I, I love talking about science. So, so this allowed me to, to, to kind of scratch that itch, but in a, in a more informal setting than a laboratory. Yeah. And then, and then obviously kind of fast forward, forwarding kind of from out, you know, transitioning mm -hmm. from out kind of in, in the field, doing those, those trips and, and whatnot to having a little more of a formal, um, setting within the, the education system itself. Um, what, what was kind of that transition like for yourself? And then also you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, I guess the diversity sort of opened up your mind within, within Richmond sort of as, you know, being in your own bubble and, you know, realizing all these different areas and, and different, uh, groups of people and whatnot. How, how did you kind of overcome that as far as, uh, I guess getting that interest, um, kind of in injecting that that interest into the students uh, that might not have been, you know, interested or really exposed or had a, a, a good teacher to do that for them um, in the first yeah. place. Right. And, uh, you know, th that's 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 a good question. And it's it's something that I think that a lot of people who work in the fields of of, of outdoor and experiential ed um, come across um, because it is easy to to think like, OK, if I just take this person to this beautiful place close to them and show them the James River or show them these mountains, then naturally they're going to be excited by that. And, uh, or if I even just talk about that to them, then there's going to be some level of engagement. But the truth is, is that isn't, it's not everybody's, it's not everybody's thing. And, and, and not everyone grows up with, with an inherent belief that, that those are places that you want to go to and that have you know, engaging value. So what I found as an earth science teacher is I was finding all kinds of different ways to try to get my students engaged and hooked into the content. Because honestly, I mean, you know, you, you're teaching an SOL tested class and there are things that your students need to know. They need to know that, you know, minerals have these characteristics. They need to know that, that, you know, what the difference between the different types of rocks are uh, or the different types of clouds. And it's like, well, this is not, inherently something that that a 14 year old cares about um so how do you how do you hook them like so just for example i found i got to the point where i was writing these units that would begin with some kind of some kind of lever to, to pull them in so in the case of minerals um, this was a time period when all of my students had cell phones so we would talk about their cell phones we would talk about you know i would we would engage in a little bit of investigation about um about conflict minerals really like we and and what was in there what was in their cell phones just to get them thinking about these small components and then from there we would lead from that conversation into a, a deeper dive back into the individual minerals and whatever whatever vocabulary and terminology and concepts they they needed quote unquote to know for the test 
but then we'd come back out the other side and tie it back into their cell phones. Um, you know, in the case of uh, another, I'm, I'm now digging in a decade into my past, <laughs> but, um, you know, in the case of, uh, of cosmology, right? Another thing that, that in Virginia, eighth graders need to know is they need to have some understanding of the Big Bang and of the, the nature of the universe, which is a, it's a big thing for anyone to know. But, um, you know, there are these discrete pieces of information they need to know. But And while you could just stand in front of students and say, okay, write this down, now write this down, now write this down, now we're going to get, you know, flashcards out and you're just going to memorize it. I, I never found that to be a, a great way to learn. And, and <laughs> I don't think it is or I know that it's not. Um, so we would engage in that conversation first by looking at, you know, the presence of life. And is there other life in the universe? Because I know that my students, just from just from hearing, you know, they're, they're all into things about aliens and, and kind of conspiracies, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, so getting them thinking about, you know, the vastness of the universe and is there other life in there? And how do you know? And where is it? And why haven't we seen it? Then we can talk about the universe itself and, and how it was created. Um, not sorry, not created, how it formed. Um, yeah, I always try to be careful with my terminology there. So, <laughs> but then as I got more comfortable as a teacher, I also started to explore more ideas around environmental justice. So, um, one um, in in Richmond uh, at the Science Museum of Richmond, there's a there's a scientist named Jeremy Hoffman who's um, he's the state climate scientist, and he published a paper um, I don't know, some years ago about basically overlaying maps of heat in Richmond and overlaying them against a map of Richmond's um, historically redlined areas and uh, a map of where the tree density was greatest and where the, the tree density was least. And unsurprisingly, the hottest areas of Richmond in the summer are also the poorest areas of Richmond, and they are also the areas with the least amount of trees. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was teaching my students about albedo and about, about um, kind of solar reflectivity, right? Which again, you know, some students who are just science-minded might find all of this interesting, but for a lot of kids um, who don't necessarily consider themselves to be science-minded, it's besides just memorizing a bunch of terms that have no meaning to your life, it's, it's hard to kind of build relevance. So um, we took thermometers and we just went out into the schoolyard and we, and we, you know, these are not very good thermometers, but we just left them on the pavement for a while. And then we took them over and we left them in the grass for a while. And then we took them over and we left them by the trees for a while. And the, even with, even with, you know, um, measurement tools that are, that are pretty poor, the, the difference between those areas was very stark. And then we looked at a summary of this article where they could look at a map and, and they could see their neighborhoods on the map. They could see places that they knew and then kind of think about, for many of my students, it was, it was interesting to watch this particular group of kids come to not a realization actually, but more of a, an understanding that some of the things that they might believe in terms of fairness are true, or at least are supported by data, and they can see those data, and they can see that it's not just something that they think, it's actually true that some things are unfair, and, and those things are, in fact, related to science and the environment, in some cases, and not just society. Yeah. Um, so finding any, you know, whether it's, whether it's your cell phone minerals or whatever, uh, for students, for middle school students especially, 
uh, I, I found, you know, finding some hook that gets them drawn in before you start barraging them with scientific concepts is really the, the important part. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I love like how you were able to sort of get creative with that to, um, to kind of get, get the hook. in. I, 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 I recall my middle school years and, uh, we had some, uh, very, very boring teachers. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> that did not go, no, go out of their way to make it fun. So, yeah, it's sad. I mean, I, I, I know that this is not a podcast necessarily about formal ed, but, but teachers in formal ed are, are, are often kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place because, yeah. you know, they, if you teach a tested course, there is just all of this material that you you feel like you need to get through. And, and, you know, your administrator also feels like you need to get through that. And then their boss really feels like they need to get, you need to get through it. So um, feeling like you have the freedom to take the time to establish the relevance isn't always there. It just seems like you might have to jump right into content right away because you don't have time to, to, for any of the, you know, kind of, I always refer to it as woo woo stuff, but I know there's a better name for it than that. Any of the engagement and exploration that, that we know that is shown to be how students actually learn science in a meaningful way is by providing them with an experience. But, but teachers don't feel like they have time for that experience, so they don't do it. So then they, the way that they teach often is through rote rem- memorization, which means that the kids don't really learn it at all. So then they don't perform well on the tests. So then everyone gets more nervous, which leads to less time for things like experience, because now there's more, you know, they have to take tests to get ready for the tests. And um, it's a vicious cycle, unfortunately. So even teachers who, who by their nature would not necessarily be kind of boring are often shoved into that little corner. Kind of, kind of um, stuck there. Yeah, which is why I, uh, which is why I ended up at the Blue Sky Fund, quite honestly. <laughs> so, 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 speaking of which, kind of, you know, obviously, every everything kind of leading up to that, from the formal education to uh, what you're doing down at the Chesapeake. Um, I guess where did this opportunity for um, Blue Sky uh, kind of come from, and and I guess let's let's kind of dive in more to kind of the mission and, and what you all are are doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Blue Sky Fund is is a group that I that I initially became aware of when I was a teacher in RPS because I would see um, our hour, and now when I say hour, I mean Blue Sky Fund. I would see the Blue Sky Fund buses at schools um, for after school programming, which is one of the three programs that we run. We have a really fabulous middle school after school program that um, is in all but currently all all but one of our of Richmond's. Um, public middle schools, and then we also work with a few other partners like the Boys and Girls Club and um, and another um, subsidized Catholic school that's in the East End neighborhood, close to where we are. Um, and they they meet the kids after school and do all kinds of fun, adventure based and kind of resiliency based activities with them. And so to start off with, usually they'll. Uh, the, our, our, our educators, and we call this our, this is our adventurers. This is our outdoor adventure club. Um, so I'll get back to that, but any, I'll explain it all later. But anyway, I would see those buses when I was leaving school and I would see these blue sky educators leading some of my students and also students I didn't teach, you know, in a line out to the bus. And then, you know, I'd, I'd ask the students later, I'd say, what did you guys do? Like, Oh, it was so much fun. We went to this park. I'd never been to this park before. We went climbing, we went biking, we went fishing, et cetera, et cetera. All of these wonderful activities. Um, and then when I became the science lead for the city, 
Blue Sky Fund um, is one of our is one of Richmond's main partners when it comes to providing experiential education for elementary school kids. Um, okay. And uh, which I had no knowledge of before I became the science lead because I I had very little interaction with elementary school because I was middle school. Um, which is there's a whole conversation to be had about how teachers do not know what's going on in the grades below them or above them, but <laughs> we won't go there now. Um, uh, so and and so I had met a lot of the you know employees of the of the full time employees of Blue Sky Fund because um, because Blue Sky Fund was taking so many students on so many field trips, and so even if just to get a letter of support from me or to discuss the timing of the curriculum so that they could make sure that they were running field trips that were relevant to what students were learning at a particular time, um, we had a lot of meetings, um, and so this particular opportunity came open when the former program director, uh, programs director, um, left for, for a different position. Um, you know, the nature of nonprofit is it's, you know, it's, it's not corporate America. So (laughs) oftentimes there's definitely, um, other jobs out there that, that can offer, you know, different benefits, but, but, um, it, you know, to be fair, this person ended up at another nonprofit, so they didn't go, (laughs) they didn't go, they didn't, they didn't travel very far from what they were currently doing. Uh, but anyway, um, the, the position came open and it just happened to be at a moment when I was feeling pretty low about what the work that I was doing. Um, and, um, and it seemed to fit a lot of my experience, this role that I'm currently in, because it is partially related to experiential ed. It is partially related to, um, formal ed in terms of understanding the standards. Um, I also, happen to be in a position where I, I'm certainly on first name basis with almost all the principals and many of the teachers within Richmond Public Schools. Um, so that's very, you know, that's a, that's a plus for, for Blue Sky Fund as well. Um, and, um, and it's, it's a small organization. So coming from working in a school district with 24,000 students and, you know, 42 schools, um, where to get anything done requires the cooperation of multiple systems to all work in tandem and at the same time it means everyone has to be checking their emails and you know and and having having the wherewithal to to do that thing that you need to get done which just doesn't happen very much um blue sky fund we can we're very nimble and so if we want to change something up if we want if we want to try a new initiative it's um it's very easy to do and because we have such great access to rps kids we can we, we have an opportunity to really um, just flow with whatever happens to be happening with the kids at that particular moment. Um, that's a fairly vague statement, but I hope it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, y- you know, it kind of like, it, it's funny how things work out in that sense. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of in spot uh, in your teaching career. And then obviously you knew about Blue Sky Fund and then the opportunity opened up and it was like a mix of sort of both of your your educational passions and everything like that, which is, which is awesome. Um, so, so with that, you started kind of talking about some of the different programs, um, yeah, that, you, yeah. that you all offer. Right. Well, and so I'll, um, I'll, I'll, if I, if it's okay, I'll just go kind of top to bottom and, and talk yeah. about our programming a little bit. Um, the first thing I want to say is, and you said it at the beginning, the, the blue sky funds mission is providing transformational experiences for Richmond area youth through outdoor education. Uh, and I, I just want to linger on that for a second because I think it's really important that, um, you know, we're not, 
and there, I don't want to, I'm not disparaging other groups, but we are not focused on a natural resource in terms of we're not trying to, to, you know, preserve farmland or, or, or save the trees or save the bay or save the river or save anything. We are trying to, we're centering the student in the outdoors. That's the student is at the center of our mission. Uh, and to me, I think that that's really important for the work we do. And it also provides us with a lot of leeway to do all kinds of different things. Um, so with that being said, our, our largest program is our explorers program, and that's our elementary program. Uh, we work with 12 different Richmond elementary schools. There are 25 in total. So we are in roughly half of the elementary schools. We work with every third, fourth, and fifth grader in those schools. And we take them on, well, third graders go on four um, field explorations. And then fourth graders and fifth graders go on five field explorations throughout the course of the year. So um, if you're a student at one of these elementary schools and you go through the whole elementary school, by, by the end of your fifth grade year, you'll have come out on 14 different Blue Sky Fund field explorations. Oh. Um, and they are focused on, um, they're, because it's, we're working with the public school system, and these are during the day field trips, um, you know, we do have a, a, an alignment to the um, science standards to, as, as kind of the lowest hanging fruit. So uh, we take the students to mostly to local parks around Richmond and Richmond, for those of your listeners who've never been to Richmond, Virginia, um, we are lucky that we have a, a large amount of parks in a very small city, including uh, the James River that flows right through Richmond has a linear park on, on both the north and the south side of the river called the James River Park System. Uh, with many entry points, and you have very good access to the rivers. Um, so that's a real plus. And then there are also other parks off of the river that we use. Um, but we will go a little further. We'll go all the way to York River State Park with the fifth graders for their final field trip of the year, which is a really good time as well, um, about an hour away. Uh, so we take them to the parks, and it's a combination of science learning, um, team building, games and activities, and um, outdoor kind of observation and mindfulness. Um, and in this coming year, we're actually further adjusting our, our trips to get away from the teaching of discrete contents. Like, um, especially during COVID and following COVID, there was a real emphasis on trying to get a lot of the terminologies that aren't necessarily taught in school simply because, um, uh, well, in many public elementary schools, not just in Virginia, but across the country, science and social studies are just not really taught as much uh, in a lot of school districts, especially school districts like Richmond that tend to be um, kind of lower income and with, with literacy um, issues. They, so literacy and math are really pushed forward. And with the exception of the years when science is tested as a, great, as a subject, um, at the state level, they don't, that's just, it's rarely taught or it's taught kind of uh, science and social studies will be switching uh, day by day. So you'll have, you'll have about two hours of math, two hours of reading, and then you'll get a half hour or so of science or social studies taught in a yeah. day. Um, so it makes it hard to teach all of the things that, you know, <laughs> quote unquote, need to get taught. And so that's where Blue Sky had come in and we were providing a lot of these, not just experiences, but also what you might think of as more formal teaching happening in the outdoors. Um, but as I, I mean, personally, I don't, uh, I don't see that as appropriate. I feel like we were not doing a good job of really leveraging the outdoor space. If we are 
in a park, but we're talking about um, electrical circuits or talking about simple machines, for example. Um, you know, we're standing next to the river and we're teaching them uh, the difference between a lever and a pulley. Um, and that, you know, it was still a fun field trip, but I just, it was not as good as it could have been, I would say. So we are in this coming year, we're, we're trying to pull away from the idea that we are responsible for teaching vocabulary words and focusing more on providing more experiences. So um, data collection, observation, there are all these skills associated with being a scientist that people don't necessarily think about, but simply just asking questions, you know, looking at something that you don't know and formulating questions about it. That's a really important skill for a, a scientist to have, arguably more important than knowing the definition of a transverse wave, you know, is to actually be able to ask a good question. So we are, we're focusing our explorers field trips next year, more on that kind of stuff and less on teaching science concepts. But um, the field trips are super fun. The kids come out. Um, we don't charge the school district anything for that. We raise all the money for that. We raise the money for the transportation. And we um, we kind of help facilitate the process too with the teachers. So we'll send lots of reminders. We set up the transportation for them. All they have to do is get the kids on the bus and get out to the site, basically. So that's explorers. So for example, in the in this year, we we worked with right around two thousand kids. Wow. We saw them, uh, and in some you know we saw those kids some of them four times and some of them five times depending on depending on the grade level. Um, and we try as hard as possible to make sure that they have the same educators for their class every time. So um, I recently just had the experience of. Uh, you know, we have evaluations just like any nonprofit. So we we come in and we we ask the kids a series of ten questions just about um, that are related to uh, these seven uh, these these seven C's of of resilience. So competence and confidence and character and connection uh, and and a, and three others. Um, so we ask them questions about that, and then we have them draw the environment, and then we do that at the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Well. Just last week, we were going into the schools to to give out the evaluation, and I was wearing my Blue Sky Fun T-shirt. And uh, the power of that Blue Sky Fun T-shirt in in those schools where we work is is palpable. I mean, the kids when when kids who had come out with us before had uh, saw us coming in with our Blue Sky Fun field trips, they they were like, "Yes, Blue Sky Fun's here!" So excited. <laughs> and and I saw kids run educators educators that they had had throughout the course of the year and big hugs, you know. So they really do because we have those multiple touches, they really do get to form a bond with the educators and a, and a bond with the organization as well, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, the middle school level, sorry, did you have questions? Uh, no, Jeremy, before I no, no. I thought that was great. Wagon? No, no. <laughs> yeah. um, so at our middle school, so that's our explore explorers is elementary middle is OAC or outdoor adventures club. And like I was saying earlier, this, happens mostly in the after school space although we also do overnights uh, overnight camping trips with them and the idea with the the um the outdoor adventure club is that we want to kind of increase students comfortability um, and ownership of the outdoors and the kind of things that you know people do for recreation in the outdoors so like i said we'll take them uh, we'll take them rock climbing. There's a local climbing gym we work with. They'll go biking. You know, in some cases the kids will learn how to bike and then go biking. Um, they've done orienteering. Um, they'll learn how to make um, campfires and also how to put out campfires, which is you know, <laughs> just as important a skill. Um, canoeing. 
canoeing, kayaking, hiking, and also just exposure to the outdoors. I mean, I think a big part of what we, of, of our goal is, um, you know, to help our students realize, you know, you live in this city, you live walking distance from this park, or, you know, you, you, here's, you know, you live close to these outdoor spaces and, and they are yours and you can come here on the weekends with your family. You know, you can catch a bus and get here. You can drive here. Um, there are things you can do and, and you are a part of this environment and you're a part of this ecosystem. Um, so that's the outdoor adventure club. Um, we, we work with tons of sites throughout the city and, and so like, depending on the school, they either have one or two days a week where they're meeting with these kids. Um, and we have three sessions that we run through the year. They're each, um, they're, well, they're based on the, the providers that we work with in terms of their length. I think they're either like 10 to 12 weeks long, the, the different sessions and, we, the amount of kids that we have that just sign up again and again and again is, is, is really impressive because they have such a good time. Um, and then we have our high school program, which is called OLI or the Outdoor Leadership Institute. And so this is a, a much smaller program in terms of the amount of students involved. Um, every year we recruit a cohort of students. We try to get up to 24, 25 kids, um, but it varies from year to year how many kids um, are a part of it. And this is the only program we have that, that also pulls from outside of Richmond city. So we, we open this one up more to the Richmond metropolitan area. And the idea being is that we want to recruit students with a variety of different, um, socioeconomic and, and ethnic backgrounds, as well as just upraising backgrounds. You know, we just want a bunch of different kids to come together and, there are two week sessions in the summertime. And in those two week sessions, they start off by doing some getting to know you things and some team building things, but then also um, they're getting quick primers on camping and hiking skills um, because then they go and they do a five day hiking trip at Mount Rogers, which is um, it's in Virginia. It's the tallest peak in Virginia um, down in Southwest Virginia. So for a lot of these students, this is the first time that they've ever slept in a tent. You know, this is the first time that they've ever been (laughs) so far from cell phone reception, you know? So they, they do five days of, of, um, camping and then they come back and then the, there's a few days on the tail end where, I mean, the first day or two is devoted entirely to cleaning the gear. (laughs) Uh, and then (laughs) after that they do some more team building and, and kind of solidifying, and then throughout the school year, and these are all rising ninth through 12th graders, throughout the school year, once a month, we meet for a service Saturday where they, where they engage in some service learning. Although sometimes that service learning could take the, um, take the, uh, the, the appearance of, uh, we recently took our students to the uh, Black History Museum in Richmond for a, um, for a very specific, uh, a very specific uh, show that was going on there. And then they also got the opportunity to speak with the curator um, because another thing we're trying to do is expose students to a variety of different career pathways and just different avenues that they could go down. Yeah. And, and so those are kind of your, your three, uh, I guess, core programs that, that you offer yes. and kind of, kind of graduates uh, or uh, graduates, maybe it's not the right word, but uh, progresses, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. younger to, to older um, in that case, yes. which is, which is pretty unique how it kind of builds. And there's obviously that retention that goes along with that. So yeah, ideally, I mean, our, in our ideal world, we would have, um, and we, <laughs> we only just recently started collecting data to this effect. So, so we'll know in, you know, five or six years, uh, 
how well this bears out. But the idea is that you you could be a third grader. We'd love to have students who did who were part of the Explorers program, which truthfully, the Explorers program, they don't really get a choice in it. They just happen to be you know, third through fifth graders at these schools, and it's a field trip that they go on. So um, that's the kind of least, it's the least agency they have, but, but they go on these field trips. And so hopefully, you know, if you had a positive experience there, when you get to middle school, you could take part in our after school program. And then if you had a positive experience there, you could apply to be part of our OLI program. And then, you know, and then from our OLI program, we actually pull kids to be um, kind of program assistants who, so if you, if you're a, 16 year old and and you came out with us last year well you have the opportunity that you could be like an assistant and go camping again but this time have a little more of a leadership role i guess kind of like a counselor in training but not not a counselor exactly you know yeah um a peer in training so to speak um so that is our goal and that you know um we we want to have those we would call them our deep blue blue sky fun kids yeah, no, I, I and I think that's great. Kind of the whole the thought and kind of concept um, behind that, because you know, not only you know are those those kids being being impacted, but to to your point, you know, they're like, or you're, hey, you can go out here uh, this weekend with your family, or maybe they start bringing their friends out to a park or some place, or do a different outdoor activity with them, which which probably helps more exposure just in general within the community about the outdoors and the different spaces that, that Richmond has to offer. Um, yeah, which I'm sure is great. Yeah. And there are, there are areas that I would like, I, I would like for us and I, I get very excited, right. You know, I've only been in this role for uh, a little over six months. So, um, already people are people, people that I work with are finding that I get really gung ho about an idea <laughs> and I'm like, well, let's go ahead and let's just do this right now. But of course I'm trying to, trying to, you know, maintain a certain level of sanity. So, um, but in the future, I could, I'd really like for us to focus also on the idea that it doesn't have to be a park that, that really we could be doing interpretive environmental field trips simply by walking a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and more and more I've been into the idea that, that we kind of devalue the built environment. Um, as environment, you know, in the world of environmental education, the focus is largely on on natural spaces. And I understand why, because, you know, they're beautiful and they are absolutely worth preserving and worth knowing about. But I really want for students to understand, too, that that you don't have to go to a beautiful place. You don't have to go to a quote unquote beautiful place to experience the environment and to be a part of the environment that, you know, the environment is looking at, you know, looking at your window, going out your front door, there is the exact same interactions are happening. And so to be able to recognize them there, I think is, is, is somewhere where I feel like we could really grow. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's an interesting kind of um, perspective to kind of share as well to kind of differentiate the two, or I guess undifferentiate the two, um, (laughs) um, the, the the two and, and then, you know, having that greater appreciation for, you know, outside your, your apartment or your, your house or, or wherever you're at neighborhood, um, you know, that might, that might just help, uh, you know, that community in, in general, having those dif- different perspectives, if you're thinking of it as like a natural place that you preserve versus yeah. you know, buildings and stuff. Yeah. I mean, if there is, a, if a portion of, of a goal of a, a group like us is kind of stewardship of the outdoors, 
which I suppose it is, although it's not stated as such. But yeah, I guess, you know, the idea being that that you're having a transformational experience in the outdoors, which gives you a greater appreciation, which would make you more likely to, to you know, to to preserve your spaces outdoors. Um, that I, I think we do a disservice to the students if we if if the implicit message is that your neighborhood is devalued in comparison to this other space. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I, I like trying to to bridge that gap, I think is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think so as well. And it's, and it's cool to kind of see, see how that's going. So, I mean, I, I know, you know, you mentioned you're, you're about six months in or whatnot, but what, I guess, you know, obviously you, you had a thought of, of uh, blue sky fund going into it. And, and, you know, now, now you're pretty much, you know, you, you've been there long enough or you've seen a lot. What was like, I guess the most uh, maybe like surprising, I guess, from that. And then, or, or even sort of like, you know, some stories that have, that have come out of that, that just kind of, I don't know, t- took you away. You're like, Oh, I thought it was this, but then you hear kids say this, this, and this, you're like, Oh, it's much more than that. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I definitely came to, um, blue sky fund focused heavily on the, 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 the education part of it. Um, m- much more so than the leadership and resiliency part of it. Um, which is just not, it, it it wasn't, and it is, you know, becoming more something that I am, I'm growing some expertise in. Um, but, uh, so surprising to me was that, you know, hearing kids talk about the, the trips, many times they, their focus is not even on the, the outdoor space as much as it was on some kind of frustrating, but ultimately rewarding game that they played where they had to work together. Um, and, uh, so, and which made me think, you know, I'm still somewhat science minded at, um, so another thing that, that I, from those first three months where I was doing a lot of observation of the, especially the elementary and middle school programs, um, thinking about how many of the students really resonated with those activities made me want to consider, um, how we can evaluate whether those activities are leading to any growth, like specific growth in students and how we would measure that in a way that's, that's, um, you know, a non-intrusive, but be meaningful. So that's, that's, I don't know if surprise is exactly the term, but that is one thing that I have been spending a lot of my kind of down mental energy considering is, um, how to, how to, and whether it's worthwhile to, to, to try to quantify in some way the effect of, of these team building activities. Um, so, and that's at both the elementary and middle, because we do, I have been so impressed with our, with our educators and with the managers that, that I get to work, um, with in their knowledge of all of these super fun games. I mean, my experience with, with experiential ed was more on the science education part of it than it was on, on the kind of, um, personal growth part of it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's the area where I've been doing the most learning anyway. Yeah. And, and there is a whole, you know, un- unsurprisingly, there is a whole field of there's, you know, there's papers and papers and papers and books and books and books on this topic. It's just that I hadn't read any of them yet. <laughs> well, now, now you're getting the, kind of the, the firsthand experience, but, it, but to your point, it is, it is cool that, you know, those, those, those personal traits are being kind of in, are being tied into kind of everything that you're doing, which, you know, yeah. and it'll be interesting, you know, like you said, kind of the, the deep blue, I think you called it, you know, seeing how, how those kind of progress, if you can like, 
see because I think people like undermine like the connection of one thing versus another thing. So how can the mm-hmm. outdoors do like sure you're playing outside, you're exploring, you're you're learning all this stuff. Um, but how does that affect you know your your regular life? You know, even as an adult. So it'd be it'd yeah. be interesting to, to make those connections because I I do believe those connections are there. Um, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I recently just had a. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I was I was recently meeting with one of the school board members um, for Richmond and who has this wellness plan that they're trying to push, um, a ten point wellness plan. And I was you know really trying to to drive home the 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 importance of outdoors kind of outdoors exposure to personal wellness. I mean there is a lot of there's a lot of literature that shows just how much more kind of emotionally and physically healthy we are when we when we're in the outdoors, whatever we happen to be doing. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, and it's so, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully you, you going over that help kind of push over the edge to, to, you know, make, make those things happen and those connections. Cause that's, that's great. Yeah. So, so you have, um, you know, obviously a couple, you, you mentioned or outlined a couple of changes that, you know, you guys are working on to kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say create a better program because you already have a great program, but to enhance it, let's put it that way. Are there any other plans sort of like on the, on the horizon that, that you like our, our audience to know about? There's a lot of sketched out (laughs) things that are, that are, that are, would be, would be great. I mean, we have areas for growth. I I think um, it, one thing I love about the blue sky fund is, is how successful our programming already is. I mean, um, it, we just have a, 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 we're lucky that we have a great reputation with our partners, specifically our teachers and our principals. In fact, when I was leaving RPS to come to Blue Sky, I was amazed the amount of principals who, who came up to talk to me who said, hey, can, how, can we get, how can we get Blue Sky at our building? You know, because oh. like I said, we're in the buildings. Um, but, but that was flattering and that really got me thinking. So certainly one of our, one of our kind of pie in the sky goals would be to get into all 25 schools. Um, but that, but at the same time, I also see a lot of potential for growing down into the earlier grades into K through two, where those students really have very little experience with, with science education, but also, I mean, if, if ever there was a group of people who is, who's naturally asking questions and making observations, it is, it is kindergartners, first graders, and second graders. So it wouldn't take much to, you know, just get them out into the field and have them ask a bunch of questions and draw some pictures and, you know, do something. Um, one area that I kind of related to the um, kind of seeing the value in in the mundane, maybe, um, or seeing the value in your in your local places, is uh, a, ch- a big ch- uh, change we're making next year. Is that our first our first field experiences of the year with every school every grade level are going to be on school grounds okay we're not as as opposed to taking them to their first park the very first experience we're going to have is is on their school grounds and we're going to make observations there and we're going to um i mean it depends on the grade level but you know we'll you know maybe we'll take some weather measurements or we'll um you know do a bird watch or whatever it happens to be the very first is is i want i want for it to happen on school grounds so that students start with an understanding that that this is that the connect that there's a direct connection between the place you go every day and all of these other places that we can take you to that's that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, cool idea to kind of kind of put that lay that foundation down and definitely um exciting to kind of see how how things things progress so 
So one thing I always like to um, ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice for our listeners. And I think, um, you know, your experience is, is unique as, you know, kind of starting uh, working with the Chesapeake uh, Bay uh, Foundation and then kind of formal formal education and then kind of transitioning into this sort of this this mix. What you know, if there's, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, another, uh, maybe it's a teacher, maybe, um, you know, whatever, some, some, someone like that within their life, how, and there, and there's a kid around, how would you say, or like, what advice would you offer for them to help, help that, that individual kind of create a different or help create a different relationship with the outdoor space, whether that is within a city or a park or out in a national park or anything like that. Um, how, how could you start, you know, help, uh, help, help that child kind of re-engage in that way. If, you know, maybe if there's not a program like yours around in their area. Yeah, it's, that's tough. I, I, I think the first thing to do is to, is to let that, let that person explore their surroundings in whatever way is natural to them. You know, um, a lot of our learning and a lot of our kind of formation of self is done through just personal self-exploration. So if you have a, have a have a student who's not kind of necessarily naturally that excited about the outdoor space, I, I think you you want to you want to bring them somewhere that is safe because of course safety is 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 pers- feeling safe is is important for us doing anything. If you feel unsafe, you're not going to you're not going to expand outward from your little shell. So safely bringing them to a a location where they can kind of open up as quickly or as slowly as they want to to that to that space and explore it how they want to will will probably be it to my mind is the best way to get them um, engaged. Beyond that, um, knowing you know, find out about that person, about, find out about that kid. What do they like, and try to bring them to a place that has an overlap between something that they already naturally are interested in and some some way to make them grow more towards the outdoors. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's great. Kind of making those, those connections um, and kind of building those relationships and kind of in uh, a different perspective, like you said, you know, with yeah. something that they're already interested in and then kind of match that with, with kind of the outdoors and, and, and experience in that sense. So, and, and repeat exposure, you know, I think that's the other thing is that, is that once is great, but you know, every time more than once is doubly good. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the, at, at that point, it's kind of hard, uh, kind of hard not to fall in love with. So, yeah. Um, so where can, where can people find you online to, uh, learn more about your programs, um, and, and see, see what's going on and kind of see how things, uh, continue to progress. Sure. Yeah. Our, well, our website is blueskyfund.org. Um, we've been an organization now for a little over 15 years. Um, and growing, growing, growing. Um, uh, so we are, yeah, so we're at blueskyfund.org. We also are on Facebook, um, just facebook.com slash blueskyfund. Or if you search blueskyfund, you'll find that. Same thing, Instagram, uh, blueskyfund. And there's a lot of great pictures on our on our Instagram feed of our various trips, uh, pictures and videos that you can check out of, of, of our students in nature. And it'll also, if you're not, um, if you're not a, na- a Richmond native, um, it'll give you a good sense of some of the great things we have in Richmond in terms of outdoor spaces. 
Absolutely. So everyone definitely make sure you check them out. Um, see, see where the, see what they're up to. Um, if you're, if you're in Richmond, figure out how, how you can support them if you can. And if not, uh, you can get inspired with those photos, uh, to either do something in your own area or, uh, give me a good excuse to come visit Richmond. But, uh, Josh, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of share your, your story kind of leading up to blue sky fund. And I appreciate all the work, um, that you're doing. And I, and I wish you the best of luck, uh, in this journey. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy, some, uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.